Hi guys, I'm Juliana, your automotive woman. Welcome to this episode of Cars Without Sausage. This week, I chat with Stuart Morrison, head of communications for the MoneyGram Haas F1 team. We discuss the Netflix curse and whether or not Haas F1 has been bitten by that curse, how real or fake the Drive to Survive series really is. He takes us behind the scenes of Haas F1's most challenging PR stories from the past decade and what it was really like working at this past year's F1 Las Vegas race. And he shares his advice on what it takes to make an F1 motorsport communications. I hope you enjoyed this episode and thanks for watching on YouTube or listening wherever you stream your podcasts. Drive to Survive, currently streaming, right? So tell me about, you know, at this point, are you just used to seeing yourself and you don't judge yourself on how you look? Because personally, being on YouTube and streaming every week, I, I do judge myself. I'm probably harder on myself than all those people on the internet that that pass judgment too. I wear something and I'm like, oh, that's a wide girth right there or terrible shirt or bad makeup. Are you hard on yourself or at this time or at this point, you're just like, I'm kind of over it. I mean, I am what I am. I've got the face for radio. Uh, I don't have the body for TV. So uh, I always view that, that PR people are meant to be in the shadows. Uh, and unfortunately, Drive to Survive means that some more of us get caught on camera from time to time. But uh, I'm never looking to get on camera. Uh, I don't think any good comes from that. Nobody needs to see that. Occasionally, you get you get filmed and, and you get mic'd up. But uh, yeah, I'm, I really, I don't care. You know, other people get excited. And when the series comes out, people always text me and say, oh, I saw you on Drive to Survive. And that's great that other people get excited about it. But for, for me, I'm just doing my job. And if the camera catches me, so be it. Uh, there's times where it's unavoidable. Uh, you know, if you're in a car with Gunther and they've set up the cameras and all the rest of it, that, that's one thing. But it's certainly, I don't think PR people should be out there looking for it in that respect. Yeah. And, and coming from public relations, everybody I know in PR is such a control freak. Do you feel like that or like you really like you guys don't have any control about what they're putting out there? Uh, we have a we have a degree of editorial control. And, and with Haas, because we were one of the, the, the first teams to kind of really welcome them in and say, hey, we want to work with you. We were a new team. Uh, we didn't have to do we didn't have to basically get a whole bunch of management approval. So naturally, we got a lot of airtime early on because we gave them that access. Whereas you remember Mercedes and Ferrari weren't in the first season at all. And even when they decided, oh, we need to be part of this for season two, it was still very controlled. They only had like one race that they were allowed to access. But because we developed that relationship early on, I would like to think we maybe got a little bit more control because we built up that level of trust with them. But uh, you can't really shift the narrative of what it is that they want to go for. And I would say it's probably evolved a little bit over the years where the first couple of years, it was much more fly on the wall documentary style. And then because not much changes in Formula One, they've had to kind of try and find the entertainment a little bit more. And I don't want to say create storylines, but there's certain elements that are maybe over-dramatized, shall we say. But that's because they're not just going for the Formula One audience. They're trying to attract a new audience in as well. So they need to kind of develop those plot lines. Uh, but yeah, we, we we certainly give feedback where there's items that we feel are important or if we feel that you know it might be a little bit misleading. But we don't have complete editorial control. So you just, to an, an extent, you have to kind of sit back and, and just uh, deal with what they're presenting and, you know, hope, hope for hope the it, best, hope, hope for the best and hope that it lands. And, uh, you know, it's one of these things, because the problem is with the time of year, it comes out and point. And so 
you're dealing with things that you know you've long since kind of forgotten about and dealt with but then because drive to survive comes along it kicks it back into the spotlight and and makes it relevant and you find yourself talking Mm -hmm. about things that happened up to 12 months before so it's a little bit of a a weird scenario when you're right in the middle of the start of a new season yeah well said and it might even you know it might bring up stuff that you really don't want to talk about again either like if you guys had a bad race or a bad moment or whatever happened at that instant it's like oh i did not need a reminding of that right there right it's a lot of stuff that on a pr perspective you dealt with a certain way at the time live but then because netflix were filming behind the scenes mm-hmm. you know in my case for example you know media can maybe see how you then manage that situation and, and then you have to talk about it again or maybe justify why you did things a certain way so it is a little bit of a, a bizarre scenario but ultimately <clears throat> you're still being talked about and it's still it, it, it's a calendar moment for formula one that fans look out for it you know you attract the new fans with it as well uh, but yeah there, there's times where you just dealing with things that you're just like, Ugh, not again, but that, that's <laughs> the beast. And it's time to us to move that narrative on and hopefully come up with other things as well for the next season. Okay. Well, thanks for sharing that. And I'm not done with the, with the Netflix conversation, but by the end of this podcast, I really want a younger version of you who's either listening or watching on YouTube to say, I'm envious of this guy, or I literally want no part of his job. And, and that said, I, I feel as though, and maybe you agree or disagree, but Haas F1 is cursed. And I'm going to remind you, you, you've been there since the beginning. So you've gone through a lot. I feel like you've gone through the most. So you come on the scene, Haas F1 comes on the scene and right away, people are just like harassing you about being a junior or the B Ferrari team. Then you have the huge controversy and the disaster, which is rich energy, right? And then you have the near death experience with Roman Grosjean. And then you have two rookie drivers, one being Russian, right? And that has its challenges. Um, and, and then you stop development of the car all at the same time. So rookie drivers, you stop development of the car. And then you have the beloved Gunther Steiner, you know, huge fan favorite, mm-hmm. beloved and, and respected amongst everybody in the paddock. I really feel as though you've gone through the most. And what I want you to do is take us behind the scenes. And I want to know what you do. How do you handle it? from a professional standpoint, but also a life standpoint, right? This has to take a lot of tolls on you. So let's focus on two of those stories in the Roman Grosjean. And of course, where, you know, I'm like everybody else and I'm, I'm watching and I'm like, oh my God, is this guy dead? Mm-hmm. What's happening? So talk us through what happened in, in your mind? What were those next moments? How did you manage your team and bring everybody together? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I, I had the same thought that everybody else had. You, you see this fireball. So I, in that race, I was sitting in my office at the track in Bahrain uh, watching it. I, I don't stand in the garage and watch the race. I watch it in my office with my headphones on. So I've got full team communications, uh, but I'm watching the same live feed as everybody else. And, you know, you, you keep an eye out where your cars are going to be at the start. So I knew it was one of my cars pretty much immediately. Uh, and you just see this fireball. Uh, and like everybody else, it was the most dramatic scene that I think Formula One had seen in recent years. Uh, and then also you very quickly realize it was Roman. <clears throat> and then 
to an extent, everything slows down, uh, as silly as it sounds, but a lot of people say that in moments of crisis or trauma, uh, and you're then just waiting for the information. But we actually heard it on the radio fairly fast that Roman had gotten out of the car. I mean, obviously, ultimately, I think it was about 28 seconds it took to get out of the car. Uh, I mean, if you watch on Netflix, it looks like it took him five minutes to get out of the car. <laughs> <laughs> there, 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 there's the drama element. But we'd actually, within that kind of 30, 40 seconds, uh, immediately afterwards, we did get word back very fast that he was out of the car. Ultimately, you don't know what state. Um, and then, obviously, we did see yeah. the TV shot of him getting getting into the ambulance. But you're immediately just trying to assess, right, what do we do here? Obviously, the race was red flagged immediately. All the cars came back. Um, but we radioed out to the team pretty quickly that we'd heard that Roman was okay. And then mm -hmm. after that moment on, when he was in the medical center, we were in touch with his physio who was with him. Uh, and so there were still mixed messages in terms of, you know, what injuries he potentially had, but really it's a case of you shut down communications, you make sure that nobody's speaking to anybody external. Uh, we deal directly then with Formula One and the FIA to make sure that, you know, the three entities uh, are in touch with each other. You have to shut out a lot of the other noise. Obviously, you know, being in my position, you get a lot of journalists texting you immediately looking for updates and whatnot, but that's when you really have to work to your own timetable. You can't keep everybody happy, but you have to communicate what you believe at the time to be the correct information and at the right time. So you don't need to do a knee-jerk reaction. But ultimately, from dealing with the physio, we knew that Roman was alert. He was obviously talking and all the rest of it. So we were able to communicate quite quickly that Roman ultimately was okay. But we didn't mm -hmm. at the time know about the extent of his burns or, or anything like that. So really, after that, it was a case of, I mean, first and foremost, you then you take a deep breath and breathe out a sigh of relief because you know that your driver is actually okay and it could have been a lot, lot worse. Um, and then really after that, obviously, ultimately, as you know, the race then resumed. And so you're kind of back focused on that. But at the same time, I was still getting updates on where Roman was. He was in the medical center. And then we know he got taken to the hospital in Bahrain. But I'm in touch with his physio the whole time. Gunther was in touch. So we were able to brief the media quite effectively that mm. you know, he was okay. And then in the immediate aftermath after that, it was then a case of just the regular hospital updates. I went to see Roman in hospital with Gunther the following morning. <clears throat> That's when he really told us the whole story of how it all unfolded. Um, and again, because I'd taken the time and we'd gone to the hospital to, to ultimately check that he was okay, uh, that then put in a, a chain of other events for that week because it was a crazy week because that was the week we were then going to announce Mick. We were going to announce Nikita. Uh, but obviously, in light of Roman's accident, we then announced that Pietro was then going to stand in for him. Mm -hmm. We then continued. We pushed back the two other driver announcements. At the same time, I'm still getting bombarded by the world's media because they all want to be the person to, to speak to Roman first. And so then we have to start figuring out, okay, once he's released from hospital, you know, Roman was still hoping that he was going to come back and race that following weekend. <laughs> really? then, obviously, it became clear that that probably wasn't going to be the case. And then, then you're managing, right, how best do we deal with the media? You know, we gave Sky Sports the, the English TV exclusive uh, at Roman's Hotel once he was discharged. And then because Roman had told the story so, uh, how do I put it, emotionally to, to myself and Gunther in the hospital, when it came time to doing his, his actual press conference on the Friday as his first big media event, uh, and again, it was in the time of COVID as well, so we had about 60 journalists on the, the Zoom call, and I just said to him, listen, you just tell your story and then we'll do questions straight afterwards because also you don't want to have to keep repeating the same piece of information but because it's so powerful and so moving it's literally a story of a guy who's thinking he was potentially going to die and then yeah. suddenly realizes I, I need to get myself out of this he was thinking of his family he was aware of his situation he was conscious obviously which again in itself was just a miracle and testament to to the levels of formula one safety when you see that chassis the chassis is on display with the f1 exhibition which is kind of touring the world when mm -hmm. you see that it's just amazing to think that 
anybody kind of survived it. But uh, but we got Roman to tell his story for the first 10 minutes. And then people afterwards just telling me that they hadn't been on a press conference like that before because it was so emotive. Um, but also, you know, I'm looking at it with the PR hat on and making sure that Roman's not having to say the same thing multiple times because he was still very much in recovery. Uh, you know, his, hand is, his hands were all bandaged up and, you know, th- that takes its toll on you, the whole thing. And, and Roman was still processing everything psychologically. And then he's dealing with the fact that, okay, I'm not going to be racing now. And there was a lot to take on. So it was, without doubt, the craziest week of my life, just in terms of this year of media interest, but then how we had to balance everything. And at the same time, move on and make sure that we got the announcements out about Mick and Nikita. And then obviously we were training Pietro up for the race weekend to, to, to make sure that he was then briefed on all his media duties. So there was a lot going on that week. Yeah. So you've spoken previously in other interviews that you feel as though after that crash, you probably have PTSD. Where does that come from? Is it him speaking about his thought process of, am I going to see my kids again? Am I going to see my wife again? Where does that come from? Like, What was so devastating for you behind the scenes that you were impacted? Uh, I wouldn't say it was devastating. I don't want to over-dramatize it. It was just you, you bear a weight of responsibility. You know, the, the communications that I'm putting out go global. Uh, and this very much had the attention of the world's press. You know, we had a lot of media that wouldn't ordinarily follow Formula One coming out of the woodwork. And that's what happens in these moments. It's a case of when this is dramatic. And obviously, it was visually dramatic. But also, thankfully, you had the miraculous element of the story. You know, mm-hmm. it, you know it, it could have been a lot worse. Uh, and thankfully, uh, as a PR, I've never had to deal with a, a fatality in terms of any of the drivers that I've worked with at the time. Um, although I know drivers who have died, and I know drivers who've had big accidents, and you know, so I, I was used to dealing with the the media frenzy around these things. But because Romance was so spectacular and just miraculous that he actually was able to get out of it, he was still conscious. Um, you know, it, it just brought a lot of pressure and because we had so many spinning plates and you have to get the tone right you have to get the communications right you're obviously dealing with partners uh, you're dealing with all the stakeholders with f1 and the fia you've just got to make everything you've got to make sure everything's right and also you're dealing with a sensitivity of for the first three days i had one of my drivers in hospital kind of convalescing and in a lot of pain uh mm-hmm. so you have to there's the human element of it as well but but gunther and i spent so much time together that week because it was about the messaging it was about doing things the right way you know we we, we were very conscious of that uh mm-hmm. and so that that i think just kind of took us toll. plus it was at the end of you know the first year of covid we didn't know at the time if we were actually going to get back racing and then we crammed in something like 17 races in 22 weeks so you're physically exhausted anyway and then you have a major moment like that or a major week like that to deal with uh so that's why you know i mean maybe it wasn't ptsd but it was just a case of it was a lot to take in and really after that season finished and, and we got through Abu Dhabi, that's when you kind of step off the carousel a little bit and you're just like, oh, that was that was heavy duty. <laughs> and you know, a lot of people just think, well, your job isn't physical and you're just sitting in front of a computer, but but PRs bear the weight of responsibility. The information that we put out is the official communication of the team. We're responsible for you know how people then think about Gene Haas, how people think about Gunther, the drivers, our partners. Uh, and you want to make sure that you do right by everybody. And so that's where the responsibility comes in. And I think that the mental fatigue kind of catches up with you. So in terms of timing, it was probably a good thing that it happened right at the end of that season, because then you had mm-hmm. the offseason to kind of recuperate uh, a little bit and you, you kind of realize what you went through. But you realized that, I mean, for me personally, and I've spoken about this before, when the accident actually happened, and at the time I was pretty much a, a one-man band as well, 
you know, I had a lot of other PRs from other teams reach out to me even at the time on the day saying, listen, if you need a hand with anything, if you need somebody else to take Gunther down to the TV pen or do anything for you, we will happily help you out. And, and that's what really meant the most to me, the fact that fellow peers and, and colleagues and people that I respect, only other PRs kind of know what PRs have to face in that time and the responsibility. Mm. Uh, and I've been very conscious of that ever since that whenever something else has happened with another team, even if it's just trying to check in on somebody and say, hey, listen, thinking of you, because you know that there's a lot of responsibility that, that goes on with that. And, and it is, it's mentally taxing. But for me, it, it was a moment where in my part of the, the paddock, the the people came together and, and offered me support and help. And, and that really meant a lot. And, you know, I've worked in IndyCar where I think there's much more of a family environment as well. But in Formula One, sometimes there's that kind of cut and thrust. And, you know, we're not all trying to scratch each other's eyes out. So on, on the happy note, you know, when Kevin scored his pole position in Sao Paulo, I got so many messages from people saying, congratulations, it's great to see the little guys get a result. And you know, we took Kevin down to do the top three interviews. And, and even, you know, Max Verstappen and George Russell came up to me and said, well done, you know, you know, it's your first time here type thing. And you know, these guys don't need to bother doing that. But they were happy for Kevin. They took my hand. And, you know, it was all very surreal. But yeah. it was great that the, the little guys had the moment in the sun in a positive uh, light as well. Yeah. Do you ever look back in any of your decision making during the the Roman incident that um, maybe you regret or wish you would have changed or handled differently if it had something to do with with press? Like all these people who really never covered Haas F1 previously are now all of a sudden your best friends. So do you have any of those regrets about, you know, maybe I should have spoken to that person because then they would have been more interested in Haas or you're happy with how you managed it? No, no regrets. Uh, I think we yeah. handled everything very well. And that, that's not to be cocky, but we handled everything very well at the time. Uh, you know, it, it's one of these, you, you can't go back and change things anyway. I mean, I mean, it's kind of funny, but you, you look after the people that look after you. I mean, I had mm. one paper in particular come to me and say, right, we want the exclusive with Roman. And I was like, but we've been in the sport for, you know, four or five years and you've never written one story about us. You've never come down to our press briefings and all of a sudden you think you're entitled to get the exclusive. Uh, and that's mm -hmm. why I tried to keep it as open as possible in terms of when Roman did speak. So nobody got, yes, French TV got the exclusive. Then we gave Sky Sports the English exclusive. But as far as all the other media, we, we tried to keep it as fair as possible. But people will always chance their arm and they'll be like, all oh, right, we're going to, you know, now all of a sudden we're interested in you. Uh, mm. But no, I can't, A, I couldn't change anything, but B, I think with all the information that we had at the time, I'm, I'm satisfied with how we handled it. So you touched on it earlier. This is by no means is Formula One your your first time working in, in motorsport. You, you've been here a long time. It's just probably Formula One has given you the most clout. Um, you have working with Justin Wilson previously, who you know, um, did sadly pass away, but has anything prepared you for Formula One or is just, just kind of like you're thrown into the deep end, you were in the team since, since they began. And it's like, you, you learn as you go. And Gene is really open with you kind of saying, Hey, let us kind of figure it out. And we're going to screw up some things or we're going to get everything right. It's not a case of getting everything right, but, you know, I mean, I, I worked very closely with Gunther from day one and Gunther understands the media and he saw that, you know, I would conduct myself the right way and we had good relations. I also had existing relations before I came into Formula One. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I did Justin's PR when he raced for Minardi and Jaguar back in 2003. I'd worked with him previously. Uh, we worked together at the very first championship that I ever worked in in motorsport. Uh, and then I'd done team PR, uh, sponsor PR in Formula One as well. I worked for a watch brand that sponsored 
uh, Lotus and then Force India. So, you know, I, I wasn't completely new to Formula One in that respect. I just hadn't worked on the team side before. So I knew a lot of the media that were already there. I knew a lot of other uh, people working up and down the teams. Again, for me, that's where motorsport i've been doing it for 26 years it's about the relationships it's about the community it's a very small world and i've worked on both sides of the atlantic and you run into people that you maybe haven't seen for five six years and it's a case of the paddock brings people together and so uh you just never know where obviously you know james hinchcliffe i did his pr for years and in the junior formulas and then up into indycar and now he's in my world he's in the paddock working with f1 tv and, and it's so far. i actually see more now then when I used to work with them directly, it's kind of messed up in that respect. So that, that's the most important thing to me. So I think Formula One obviously just brings with it a different pressure just because, you know, there's a lot more money involved that broadcasters are spending hundreds of millions of dollars to be there. There's the demands. You're very much in the spotlight. Drive to Survive is obviously, John, a huge spotlight on the popularity of F1. Uh, but for me, it's just, it's about how you treat people. It's about the relationships that you build, how you develop those things, and ultimately being given the trust by your employer to to handle things a certain way. Yeah. Um, let's switch gears now to Gunther Steiner. I mean, it was only a couple of weeks ago that we learned and the new season is here. And I'm sure, you know, uh, let's be honest, you're head of communications. You knew this was going to come down the pipes and you were already mm -hmm. ready for your or with your messaging, right or wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. So you hear this news and you love him and, and you've had a relationship with him for 10 years now. What goes through your mind? Like, what are you going to write? Uh, you write what you need to write. You know, in my case, obviously, you know, I wrote the fact that he was leaving and, you know, you have different scenarios, you have different press releases prepared for different things, but ultimately you're being led by your management. Uh, and so, you know, I'm a HACCP one team employee and, and that's, that's my responsibility. So you put your personal feelings aside and you do the job that's asked of you. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Now with social media uh, taken over, I've read some of the comments and it's pretty brutal. How do you explain that to some of your sponsors? And didn't some of your sponsors come on board because of Gunther and his personality and because of Drive to Survive? Uh, I'm sure it obviously played a part in it, but ultimately, you know what you're getting into in Formula One. It's about being part of the team. It's about the global exposure. So, yeah, there's elements where you know, Gunther was a very well-known personality, and, and that's attractive. Uh, that has its value, but equally so does just being in the sport. So, um, but yeah, it's a case of has had one team wants to move forward. It, it wants to be competitive. And if you move up the grid, that brings with it other results, other attention. So, you know, has had one team will continue on in that respect. Uh, and obviously Gene wants to focus in a different direction. Uh, Ao is the team principal now, and he will bring a different, uh, a different style of leadership, different style of management. He's obviously much more technical uh, in that respect. And so if the team moves forward, then that's a good thing for the team as well. So it's a case of you just, as I said, you know, I just put personal feelings aside and you get on, you do the job and you communicate uh, and partners understand things and social media people will always comment. You can put mm -hmm. weight in it or you can choose not to put weight in it. It's a case of Gunther was also a very popular character and still is and, and will be around the sport, I'm sure, in some capacity. Uh, but it's a case of, you know, I, I personally don't put too much weight on all the negativity that you see in social media because you get positives, you get negatives. We have a message that we need to communicate uh, as a team. We put that onto our channels and then people are free to comment on it. Yeah, it's, um, you know, just from my own perspective of, again, like uh, dealing with social media and the comments, like some of the comments that you receive is, uh, and when they're constantly negative, it, it can weigh on you. 
So does that, does that weigh on you too? Or, or you're just so well versed and so used to this, you're just like kind of push it off and just, oh my God, turn it, turn it off. Uh, it doesn't bother me personally because people will say, and Roman always used to say this, he was like, people will comment on social media, but when they see you face to face, they'll want to shake your hand and get an autograph. And that's, <laughs> that's, that's the reality of it. You know, I mean, Roman was a very polarizing character. Obviously, we, we lived through having both Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepan, who, mm. you know, people loved, people hated, all the rest of it. It's a case, you, you, we don't take it personally. I think it's a sad state of society that people choose to focus on negative things. You know, if you haven't got anything good to say, don't bother saying it but because people can hide behind a screen and and the keyboard warriors can get up in arms over things they have that choice to do it i personally don't think it's worthwhile doing it if you've got nothing positive to say don't say it but we know that doesn't stop people and so you know i'm always very conscious of the mental health of, of you know the pr team in terms of in particular our admin and and you know yeah teammates and team members do see comments uh, and you want to make sure that they're okay because it does it affects different people differently and you have to be mm-hmm. aware of that so personally it doesn't bother me it brushes off me but for somebody else they could be more impacted by it and so you have to be aware of that and you know thankfully we live in enlightened times where mental health is talked about and it's certainly talked about a lot more in formula one these days which is positive and with the with the pressure on the job not just the people who travel but the people at the factory everybody has a weight of responsibility everybody wants to see their team do well and so if you see a lot of negativity it, you have to be mindful of it and make sure that people are free to talk about what they're going through um, because we all have different pressures you know the job is still the same everybody wants the team to be successful but the demands are different you know for example the team at the moment is getting ready for you know the new season the purchasing department you know the build team everybody has pressure on them whereas once the season kind of starts, that pressure eases in some of those departments a little bit, and then they ramp it up towards the end of the season. So there's this kind of 12-month cycle where at different points of the year, different people are under different kind of pressure in the end of the day. But the main thing is that all teams are addressing it as we are in society in general. But me personally, you know, if you want to say something negative on, on a social media feed, you know, you're entitled to do that. That's your freedom. We don't tend to shut messaging down you know we, we let people free to comment and you know for every negative there's two or three positives in the end of the day so it, it's what you it's what you choose to focus on but my concern is more the mental well-being of you know my people who are looking at it day in day out you know our admin team our, our videographer the other prs just to make sure that they're not being brought down by of it and you have to kind of keep a little bit at arm's length because as roman said people will say something very different to your face Welcome to my podcast, Cars Without Sausage. If you enjoy automotive motorsport content unfiltered, consider subscribing to my YouTube channel, becoming a member, and joining my community. Thanks for listening. Now back to the podcast. Let's talk about your your family, right? So the new season is here, 24 race weekends. That's if no more natural disasters happen and whatever else uh, planet Earth swings our way or politics, really, I should say. Um, how do you deal with your your family and work life balance? Because again, like if somebody is listening to this and they want to be you, how do you balance a life? Yeah, uh, you you don't. It's very <laughs> difficult. You you don't you, you won't find a perfect balance. That that's a simple fact of it. Uh, you know, there's some jobs don't require you to be at every single race. Uh, I'm fortunate that I don't have. I go to the majority of races. I think last year I went to 19 out of the 23 uh, because I was able to take a few races off just to kind of get off the merry-go-round a little bit. I, I certainly encourage that. But some of the jobs in Formula One just won't allow you to do that, or nor do people want to do it. A race engineer will not want to miss a couple of races just so mm-hmm. we can 
catch his breath or, or her breath. They are in tune with the driver. They need to be there. Same thing with, uh, you know, your team managers, people out. So there are certain roles that it's not really an option to have those races off. There are other roles where the bigger teams have got much more balance and can swap in people. Uh, but, you know, obviously, Asset one team is a smaller team, and so we don't have that that luxury in that respect. So, but you're aware of what you're getting into, and you know nobody's mm-hmm. holding a gun to your head in that respect. And so, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. But I, I think the reality of the situation is you'll find more people from the traveling side come in and do it for a few years and then leave, and then they may come back in, in senior roles down the line. But you know you've got the option to do it or not to do it, and you know it's not like you don't know what the calendar exists of, but you really don't know what it's like until you do it because yeah. it's a grind and it's very difficult when you come home, you're jet lagged, you're tired, you've got to catch up on life. Um, but there's no, there's no easy fix. There's no easy solution. And, and it can be very difficult. Yeah. Looking back in the last 10 years, what would you change with your job? Like what would you tell the younger version of you or somebody listening or watching that want to be? Well, I, I was already old when I started. So, you know, there, there wasn't, there wasn't a younger version of me in this scenario. So, <laughs> Let, let's be honest. Oh, you look like a baby. Whatever. Uh, well, I'm bold, yes. But, um, <laughs> I mean, honestly, I would go back and tell myself not, not, not to worry. You know, it's a case of, you know, I mean, I, I moved from Canada to, to take this job. Uh, so there's a big responsibility there that you hope it's going to work out as a startup team. And so you're worried about things. Just you really hope it's going to work out OK. Uh, but everything has. And, you know, it, it's, it's this job has given me some wonderful opportunities, met some amazing people. Uh, you know, so they I consider it a privilege to be able to do it um, because, you know, there are only 10 teams and there's only 10 heads of communication from the one from the, the the team side so it, it's great responsibility to have and it's given me a lot you know it you give up a lot you sacrifice a lot and, and your families do there's no getting away from that you miss a lot of birthdays and things like that but um i think the payoff there is at the end that if you can look if i can look back on my time and think i did a good job and i made a difference for the team uh and built the relationships with the media with partners you know developed those relationships with the drivers and made a bit of a difference and basically did it right then to me that's a job well done so i think that would be the satisfaction that i would take away from it but i don't think i mean like i said there are some younger people that come into the sport now because they see it on instagram or they see it on drive to survive and think oh it's really cool but you really people are only posting the best of an instagram they're not necessarily posting you know the 18 hour days or the jet lag the fact that you know i mean vegas last year you know i mean i was up at seven in the morning every morning but then you're not going to the track till four o'clock and then you know the yeah. day that we had practice and, and we had the incident with fp1 and so fp2 got pushed back till four in the morning i mean uh, i can't remember what time i got back to my room that that's not glamorous that's not fun and again i only got about four hours sleep that night even though you were dog time like everything that we're going through you're wide awake again and so you're awake for another seven hours to work uh, and you don't know what that day is going to hold so there's an element that you've got to be prepared for these things i think i maybe just tell myself just to relax a little bit more and enjoy it. and i very much tell myself now when i'm on the grid every time you never know when it might be your last grid appearance so just just enjoy it you know have, have some fun and i think if you're not having fun then maybe that's the time to to step away because you do give up so much that you've got to find i always say to my guys you got to find your happy in all of this you know whether it's just the fact that you're traveling you're experiencing countries that you wouldn't ordinarily get to see you're getting paid to do it or you're building up a resume just just find your happy and enjoy it because there'll be a time when you do stop and you know you'll look back on it hopefully fondly and, and not with any regrets yeah i could relate so much to what you just said between all the hours and everything that goes on we post our lives like it's amazing 
I always, I always get comments. I want to travel like you. I want to drive cool cars like you. I want to be you. And I'm like, do you really though? I work seven days a week. There's no day that goes by that I don't work 13 to 16 hours. You, you see what I want you to see, but behind the scenes, it's like, you're ripping out your hair. You're, you're working on scripts. You have to book talent. You have to find cars. You have to find something interesting. You have to be different. Um, so it's a lot, but I'm, I'm going to end with this because again, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, (laughs) again, it's, it's, 8.30 there now, but I originally started with the the question, do you think Haas F1 is cursed? When you look back at the last 10 years, you look at other teams and I feel as though they don't have as biggest challenges as you have had. Um, Do you think the team is cursed? (laughs) No, not at all. Not at all. We are a motorsport team and, you know, I mean, people forget, you know, you want to look at the, the rich energy situation. We got paid money. You know, the, the, yeah. the team got paid money and then halfway through the season, you know, whatever happened, happened. But, you know, it's not like we didn't get money from it. And there's been plenty of other teams that have had partners that drop out halfway through a season. Situations change. So, yeah, I mean, there were some characters involved there and all the rest of it. But it was a case of people forget that, you know, we got cold hard cash in that deal. We, we didn't get stiff ultimately. Uh, so it's a case of, yeah, and that's just part and parcel of it. And then accidents happen and, you know, you get drivers that are maybe difficult and cut headlines, but you just deal with it. It's just, I think we would have a spotlight. We had the spotlight maybe on more because with Drive to Survive, there was more attention on the team. But I don't think we're from any other Formula One team. It's just our, our, you know, when you maybe don't have the performance to talk about, about the other things are more. Uh, but I really don't think, and you look at where the team is now, I mean, there's a fantastic title partner with MoneyGram, uh, you know, mm. a very solid, solid company, reputable company, you know, consumer focused, you know, we've got Chipotle, we've got Palm Angels playing, you know, all these brands that are very consumer focused and, and, and credible brands. And we've got American brands with an American team. So yeah, you inevitably go through some suffering, maybe as a younger team, as you're finding your way and, you know, people have to know if they're going to get value from money from you. But ultimately, people will find their way to you. And, you know, you get a better, you know, MoneyGram could have gone to a Red Bull and had a tiny sticker on, sticker on the rear wing and not been able to do much activation. Or you take out a title partnership with a team like Haas and you get much more car branding. You get exposure through, you know, being known with Gunther and Drive to Survive and all the rest of it. So it's up to these other partners to, to figure out what it is they want to get from the sport and, and who to be involved in. But definitely the team is not cursed. And there's some amazing people at <laughs> SF1 team and people have gone through a lot and people who really work hard to and, and we've had a lot of people who've been with the team and then left and then come back you know we've had people who've been at Red Bull with people who've come at Mercedes Aston Martin uh, and they come back because they like the environment that's there people like the story of I don't even want to say the underdog because there's teams that perform at different levels at different times I mean a few years ago we had McLaren and Williams always finishing at the back and those are teams with championship winning pedigrees uh, and I, I think you know my passion point is it's important to note that in eight seasons Haas has only finished last twice. The first time we finished last was in a year that we clearly stated we were not going to develop that car. And by not developing that car, we came out with a stronger entry in 2022 and, and finished eighth again. Last year was the first year where I would say we we struggled with our car, that we didn't quite understand the issues with it, and ultimately the performance wasn't there in the end. But that's the first time in eight years I would say we finished genuinely last. So for a new Formula One team, starting from scratch, wasn't even evolved from another team. You know, we finished... Uh, eighth in the first year, we finished eighth in our second year, we finished fifth in our third year. You know, people forget that that, that that's quite an accomplishment. And you look at all those other teams that came in in 2010, 
They didn't even last four years, five years. You know, some of them didn't even score points. You know, we scored points again in our first two races. So there's real elements of pride that everybody should have. There's a one team who's been there since day one. Uh, and they should be proud of the accomplishments in the end of the day. There's no such thing as a bad Formula One team anymore because with the, the sums of money that you're talking about, the levels of perfection involved in the sport, you know, Liberty wouldn't stand for any kind of Mickey Mouse outfit, but you just couldn't survive in this day and age. You know, you've got to operate within the budget cap. You, you've got to get the right personnel. But inevitably, somebody's going to finish last every year. You know, it could be a different team, but it doesn't mean you're a bad Formula One team. It means you haven't got the performance the right that year. And Formula One is all about problem solving, fixing those issues, and hopefully moving yourself back up the grid. So it's a very demanding sport. It's a very challenging sport. A lot of people think, oh, it's easy for a new team to come in. Well, it's not. We're living proof of that. But equally, we haven't done bad in eight years. Okay. So takeaways from this conversation for the next Stuart. Passion for the sport. Rely on your team. Um, be patient. Communicate. Even though us as communicators, we're usually very terrible. Except for me, I'm Italian. I can communicate so clearly, whether it's with my mouth or my hands. <laughs> yep. Um but uh, really, it just comes down to being patient and and relying on the team around you. Yeah, and, and never stop learning. Ne never assume you know it all because you really don't. Yeah, I mean, I've been well, in this for 26 years, 26 years, 27 years. You're always learning something and be open to learning from, you know, the mechanic in the garage to your brand partner to your driver. You know, you just, there's always something. I mean, I've had incidents with Kevin even in the last couple of years where, you know, is an issue after we're walking back from the bullpen. I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's actually a good thing to know. So you, you've got to be open to it. The minute you think you know it all is the day that you will trip up. Um, but it, it very much is a case of take a deep breath, but just never stop learning. And knock on doors, make opportunities for yourself. I always say to the, the younger people that contact me looking for ways in, just you can't rely on somebody calling you up. Even if you've got a great resume, you've got to go knock on the doors. And, you know, maybe the sport, because it's expanded so much on the communications front and there's a lot more social media posts now, there are a lot of younger people get into the sport earlier, maybe straight out of university, or, or they've maybe done a couple of years with agencies where I think back in the day you needed to be a little bit more seasoned uh, and more of a PR veteran or a communications veteran before you got the opportunity in Formula One. It's maybe shifted a little bit, but there's no there's no bad thing comes from toughing it out in the junior formulas or working drivers are trying to establish themselves uh, and just kind of learning the ropes because a lot of the lessons still apply it's just you're under a greater microscope in formula one but you know drivers will still be drivers performance is still performance you know treat the media with respect my job is there to serve the media you know we we control the message and the communication for the team but in terms of working with the media and you know this and your dealings with me you know always try and be fair be prompt with information you can't always give everybody what they want when they want it uh, and a lot of media these days would rather be first with the news but inaccurate because social media demands that you try and get news out as fast as you can but not everybody wants to check all the facts first but it's your job then just to do things within your own time frame and make sure that you do it right in the end of the day and not to have that that knee-jerk reaction and that's probably the thing i've had to teach myself a little bit more is just because you're always trying to please everybody is you just got to make sure that you get your ducks in a row first and then you communicate that uh, and you you've got to shut out some of that external noise to begin with and and those demands can even come from within the team you know, other times where people in the team have said to me, oh, why haven't we done this? I'm like, because that's not what we do or that's not how we're doing it. There is a reason why we're doing things a certain way. And from my perspective, it's always just, if you can always justify why you've done something the way you've done it. And that's maybe why I said earlier, I don't really have regrets in that respect for some of that stuff that happened because you have to make 
decisions in the heat of the moment. Uh, but it's about taking your time as well. And the more experience you have, I think just the easier that becomes. Stu, thank you so much for all of your time. I, I definitely appreciate it. And I know the future Stuart who's going to come stealing your job or looking for your job definitely um, uh, appreciates it as much as well. So good luck with the new season. I'm going to still be cheering you guys on, even without Gunther. Well, we appreciate your support. Thank you very much for having me on. And um, yeah, we'll see you in the paddock somewhere. Hey guys, thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode of Cars Without Sausage, hosted by me, Juliana, your automotive woman. If you enjoy automotive motorsport content unfiltered, consider subscribing on YouTube or following me wherever you listen to your podcasts. Cars Without Sausage, no ego, no dickheads, just a passion for cars.